Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. On today's episode, we have the pleasure of sitting down with friend of the show, Sammy Kamkar, and hearing about his escapades and his journey in the world of information security. So here we are, uh, yet another episode of Security Explained, and uh, on this one, I, this is going to be uh, I'm super excited for this. Uh, we have a close friend joining us, Sammy Kamkar. Um, Sammy's somebody that I have known about for years. I actually remember in grad school, there was a specific class uh, <laughs> that took one day to teach about you and the Sammy worm and like what you did with MySpace and, and, and the cross-site scripting stuff. And you know, you've recently uh, been part of an acquisition. So the, the company you, you uh, basically helped found was was recently acquired. So that's super exciting. And um, you know, I think every time that every time that we hang out, I hear about some new project that you're working on, and you've been talking about like physics stuff that you're getting into and all that. And so I'm just excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, and just want to hear about. Now, what are you what are you working on these days? What are you interested in? What's going on in the life of uh, in the life of Sammy? Awesome, um, yeah, always fun to hang out and chat. Um, what's new right now? Uh, so, yeah, you just mentioned uh, some co-founder of uh, Open Path Security. Um, we do physical access control and a little cyber stuff, but uh, a easy way to get into buildings instead of using insecure RFID cards. You can just have your phone in your pocket and walk in. Um, everything encrypted end to end, and uh, yeah, recently acquired, so that's pretty cool. I'm working with a larger company, Motorola Solutions, and they do a lot of interesting stuff. A lot of stuff in radio, which radio itself is just really interesting. Um, all radio is light, and light has been really interesting to me lately. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of the projects that I've been interested, in, like you mentioned, physics. I'm trying to learn basic physics, so I didn't. Uh, I never took physics or really science in school. Uh, I'm, and I did a little bit of high school, so that was the extent. So now I'm kind of reading. <laughs> I'm reading. Um, uh, there's uh, Rice University put out a bunch of like college level textbooks. I assume they're college level. Um, so that's pretty cool. So I'm reading their chemistry and physics books right now, um, and then trying to just build projects like prototype projects to actually validate and test some of the some of the ways that things work. Um, Light has been really interesting. Like, so I, I originally started in software and I was really interested in, okay, how do I hack things? How do I hack software? Um, and then I got a little interested in hardware because, okay, well, I'm really limited. If I want to build a tool to do something, uh, I'm limited by what I can do in software. Not, <clears throat> But if I can learn how to build hardware, then that will, that will just simplify that. And then getting into hardware and then getting into wireless, right? I think we're, you know, it's always interesting to see what protocols you can exploit, like Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or Zigbee or Thread or Z-Wave or whatever it may be, or proprietary protocols. Um, so getting into radio is interesting, but then just trying to build certain types of tools and attacks is like, okay, I don't really know what's going on. I really need to understand what is like, what is radio? What is light? How is, uh, antenna actually receiving that? How is that getting converted, modulated, whatever it may be? Um, and then are there other interesting ways to even do something with that? Uh, I know just from learning security, like you might know the Wi-Fi protocol in and out. Uh, like 8211B, for example, the, the first one, basically. Um, or you might know something like HTTP and IP and Ethernet and the IP stack in and out. 
And if you know this independently, that's great. If you know a little bit of both, then you can do really interesting attacks that other people you would never otherwise come up with. Um, there was an interesting attack. I forget what it's called. Something something Agger, A-G-G-R. And it was like a Wi-Fi attack that someone had uh, created where it was packet in packet, where you could go to something like a Starbucks, jump on their Wi-Fi, which was open, which means everything's unencrypted. And you might go to Twitter and an image would load. And that image that somebody tweeted is really, it's an image, but really it's just a bunch of packets inside. It's not packets, it's just data, it's just bits. But those bits happen to also be Wi-Fi packets. And at any point, if like there's some other RF, some radio that interferes with those packets, well, one of the packets is going to drop. And the next packet is going to, what happens is basically your Wi-Fi radio is now looking for the preamble, for the beginning of the next packet, the next Wi-Fi packet. And it happens to already be sending, getting sent by the router because it's not really a Wi-Fi packet. It's actually just part of the image. It's image data oh, that wow. your Wi-Fi radio believes is a Wi-Fi packet. And now you receive a Wi-Fi packet and that could be anything. It could be an ARP reply taking over the router IP address. It could be oh, a man. DNS. You know, it could be all sorts of things. Uh, so I think that's really interesting. When you know a bit about multiple layers, then you can do really cool things that you could otherwise not do even if you're an expert in a particular layer, for example. So I feel like uh, physics is just that next layer. It's like, how does this light stuff actually work? Um, so I've been trying to learn and test stuff there. So to, to what you were saying, Sammy, so it sounds to me like you started in software and then you found your limitations in software, which were like, oh, well, if I just knew how to do the hardware and now you learned about a lot about hardware and that's like, oh, well, well, hardware is constrained by physics. And so now you might like rip a hole in the fabric of space time because you're just motivated <laughs> enough to go beyond the uh, like whatever the next layer is. You're, you're now you're now going in that direction. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, other than ripping a hole in space time, um, yeah, I just want to understand this stuff better. And even just having a basic understanding is going to be helpful to me. Um, and I don't necessarily know how it might be helpful. Uh, I think you know I'm 36 now, and I realize okay. The longer I, the more I learn, it just in just basics, like really basics of of, a, of something of a system, um, that can usually be helpful. Like years later, and now I'm okay with investing years of my life in something because, I'm like, yeah, there's probably going to be some cool, interesting payoff in this. Payoff isn't just I don't know an interesting project or something that keeps me excited. So, are you playing with like SCR right now? Uh, I'm sorry, what was that? Uh, are you playing around with uh, software-defined radio right now while you're learning physics? So, like, yeah. physics 101, Maxwell's equations, stuff like that, right? Is what you're, tr like, trugging through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I've done a, a, a bunch of different SDR-related projects. Um, sometimes I like SDR. Uh, sometimes I'm even trying to not be digital and just keep, keep everything in analog, yeah. um, which is also, uh, also kind of fun. So, not using SDR, but building my own radios. Mm -hmm. um, but SDRs are awesome. Uh, I love the HackRF. I use that a ton. Um, RTL SDR is a great inexpensive uh, option for receive only at a lower, uh, smaller spectrum. Um, so I've done a bunch of projects around uh, radio, the stuff that I've released. So some of the stuff I've released around radio is like, um, a, one was a modification of a this uh, toy uh, called the IME. It's like a pink. Uh, oh, yeah gadget for tweens that would allow you to text message but really it has this sub gigahertz transceiver microcontroller built in and other hackers have found that that can transmit and receive on something like somewhere between 300 megahertz and 950 megahertz 
um, through the full spectrum. And it supports receive, transmit uh, for a bunch of digital modulation schemes like ASK, FSK, uh, GFSK, a couple of those. And that is, and I was like, okay, well, what talks this, these frequencies and it's all sorts of stuff. So it's like all of our cars. Like whenever we, if you use a car key fob, um, whether you're pressing the button or whether it's passive or you just walk up to the vehicle, that's, uh, that's all UHF, all dry frequency, which is in the 300, 950 megahertz spectrum. Uh, to be clear, the cars that have the passive stuff also have low frequency. So they have um, like 125 kilohertz or 134 kilohertz RFID, uh, but that you can use like a sound card to talk to if you wanted. Um, or you can use uh, any microcontroller. You can take an Arduino or a Teensy, and then you can actually just output a sine wave at that frequency and then modulate data or read in data, um, which is actually really cool. Like you actually don't need... Uh, the more I'm learning about this stuff, it's just like, yeah, all you need is a little bit of wire, <laughs> like some wire and a couple of components and a microcontroller. You can do so much. Um, so I think that's, that's always really interesting, taking really low-cost tools. Uh, wrapping some wire and then making a, a device that can attack something like the car and being able to say, open a vehicle, unlock it, start the engine of a car that you don't have the key to. I think this might, might be an interesting topic here because, you know, when, when we're talking as, as friends and as colleagues, a lot of the stuff that we talk about is like, oh, we can break into cars, we can break into this, we can break into that. And one of the common criticisms about like security research, or at least one of the ones that is touted quite often is, well, like, you know, aren't you actually like a bad person for doing this sort of stuff uh, or releasing the information about how to do specific exploits is actually like net negative to society and stuff like that. Where do you fall on that argument? Um, and, and, and how would you how would you respond to that sort of criticism where it's like, well, isn't isn't sharing this sort of information bad for security? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, I think that's on a case by case basis. So if it's something that, um, you know, for me, for my personal projects, it's when I was younger and I would just I would try to reach out to companies, I found that typically that doesn't do much. Um, that doesn't actually make the, the change. And in no way am I even upset at any company that, let's say, if I contact the security team, I'm like, hey, I found this thing. It's actually really bad. We, I have no idea if it's already being exploited and they're not doing something about it. I completely understand, like, having started two companies now um, understanding they have priorities right people in the company have priorities and who are the biggest where are the biggest complaints coming from right where are the major not complaints but where's the pressure coming from and sometimes that's typically like investors or bosses or uh, the board or the public if it's um if it's a public company so they have their priorities so my thought is if i if i personally believe that something is a higher priority then it's being given, uh, then I will do what I can to make it a higher priority, right? To make it equate the priority that I believe um, is accurate. And if it's not, if it's low priority, then I won't make a big big deal of it. I'll just share me like, hey, it's probably not a big deal, but you guys can take care of this. Um, and it's not something I sell. I just, you know, I just share this stuff for free. Now, if it's something that... Uh, if it is something that, let's say, the company knows about and is known for years... Um, then usually I'll actually have a lot of fun with that and I'll make a big project out of it. And I'll try to do a really fun project like using a pink toy uh, made for you know teenagers that you can then modify to open any garage. Um, <laughs> and now opening garages is actually bad. So so I did brick the source code for that. Um, but I did... There were some interesting attacks in, in that tool. I, I call it Open Sesame. And that's uh, basically some new techniques to exploit garages and other types of systems. I'm actually using some cool math uh, it, 
basically, if you have like a fixed code garage, your garage, you press a clicker and it opens your garage. If you ever looked at the clickers, a lot of them, they'll have a bunch of dip switches. Sometimes it'll be like 10 dip switches. Yeah. And you think about that, well, 10 dip switches that with on and off, that's really, those are binary dip switches and there are 10 of them. So that's two to the 10 possibilities, which is 1,024 possibilities. So 1,024 options, uh, passwords, basically. 1,024. Like a password. If you made a password using alphanumeric, two characters is more than 1,024 <laughs> possibilities. Like, imagine having a two-character password on a website, right? Like AB. Yep. Yep. Uh, that's basically the security. That's actually more secure than most garages. Um, and I found that even that, now with, with, say, online, you might be able to just like spam a post request to some website or... or authentication mechanism but with rf you're actually limited because of your receiver and that receive whatever's receiving it say the garage receiver is some radio receiver and that's only reading at a specific data rate so you're limited by that data rate so that might actually take hours to brute force through but then i found that these things are actually using something called a bit shift register so say you take a password like 10 bits like one zero 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 one um assuming that's 10 digits <laughs> uh, 10 billion <laughs> binary digits and let's say you sent 11 digits the device doesn't actually, it doesn't take the, like, it actually, let's say you take 20 digits, right? Two 10-bit 10, 10 passwords. If you send two 10-bit passwords, you send 20 bits. It's not that it looks at the first 10 bits and says, that's wrong, and let me look at the next 10 bits. It use, they use shift register, bit shift register. Mm-hmm. So instead, it takes the first 10 bits, tries it, and then pulls, removes the first bit, and then pulls in the next bit, and then tries that in 10 bits. So just by sending 11 bits, you've tested two 10-bit codes, uh, so there's actually a mathematician named De Bruyne who came up with a sequence and algorithm so that you can take, that you can basically build uh, every possible permutation of some digits and compress it as much as possible where it's overlapping. So if I know I can send 11 bits and it takes the 10 bits and then just removes one and adds a bit, that's two different 10-bit codes. How do I compress all of the codes using that mechanism into as little as possible? And you save something like 95% of brute force by doing that. Um, and then you can then now open any garage in under 10 seconds. Just by sending all this stuff. <laughs> at, the, at the standard rate, at the standard data rate that the uh, receivers are expecting. Um, I guess I, I, that was an aside. So, I, sorry, to answer your question, um, what do I think about, you know, where do I fall on, okay, what do I do? Isn't this harming society? And I, I think... Something like that, I bricked it. I don't think people's garages should be open. And that's also because most garages can't get updated, right? You can't just do a software fix mm-hmm. or, or download a, an update. Um, so that's really unfortunate. Um, but it doesn't mean... The problem is that this, these are still being sold every day. Like These are actually just normal garage garages. So that's not okay. Like That should stop. Um, so it should be intense enough that it makes it very difficult to sell, sell these things and to sell more secure ones um, without actually... Like harming people, right? Harming regular consumers. Um, with the stuff I do release, uh, where I know it's like, this is just a software update and someone just needs to do it at a company and the company is already known for it uh, for years, then I might actually just release something open source and um, that becomes an emergency patch. Like it becomes something that gets fixed within a couple of days, um, which, and that's only if I believe that it should be, right? Because Many times, these things are being exploited in the wild, and we just don't like people don't talk about it. Yeah, uh, I'm basically yeah. I'm, I'm, sometimes I just want to share things that people, many people already know, um, but no one's doing uh, no one's doing anything about it. And again, I'm not upset about it. I, I totally understand priorities. So if I believe that something should be a higher priority, priority, then I'll try to make it so. 
follow on question to that. How would you define hacking? Because um, I think there's lots of different, you know, there, there's the original usage of the term with the MIT, like train club. And then there's like the folks are like, oh, hackers are the folks that are breaking into banks and stealing all the money and doing all that stuff or like, you know, trashing government systems. Um, but I would make an argument. They're trashing that, our rights. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I would, I would make it like, hack the would, planet. Hack the planet. Yeah, I feel that like I need to watch sneakers now. Or I guess that no, that's hackers. But sneakers is the actual. That's, hackers, that's, yeah. that's the good one. Um, so, but I, I would make an argument that the stuff that you're doing now with just like looking into what you can learn in the realm of physics and and the ways that that might be applied, like that very much feels like hacking to me. So, but d- tell us in your own words, like what do you consider hacking to be, and it, you know what do you enjoy so much about it? Yeah, uh, for me, I think it's basically taking a system and using it in a way it wasn't intended, right? And and maybe when you're talking about physics, it's talking about these are natural systems, maybe ones we didn't create. So the intention is not explicitly stated anywhere. Uh, So maybe that in that way, it's using systems in a way that we didn't know were possible. Um, But yeah, generally, I'd say that's kind of the overall definition to me. I'm taking something, we all thought we knew how it worked, or we all thought it only comprised of certain capabilities. um, And then doing something that we can then gain additional capabilities. Often that's escalating privilege, right? Often that's extracting information that we're not supposed to be able to extract. Uh, or we don't believe we can extract from it. Um, so I think that that covers most things I can think of, like a side channel attack, uh, you know, and with physics, it's really cool. Like physics, there's, I think the biggest thing that I've learned from like all these different, from trying to, as a teenager, trying to be a hacker and then actually um, learning various types of engineering. Uh, and now I'm learning, okay, well, I've learned, I guess that, a lot of it is just about failure modes and understanding failure modes is a really cool, it's good way of learning new attack vectors. So for example, we've all probably heard some power supply, like a wall wart or something that we have that just like squeals, like it has a high pitched noise sometimes. And like, we're just like, that's annoying. Uh, it's just this really high pitched power supply. It's 12 volts. Maybe I can get a different power supply for my computer or whatever it is. Um, but like asking, what is that? Like, why is it squealing? Like, what is that noise? And really, that's power going into something in a capacitor and producing a piezoelectric effect, or it's going into an inductor and creating a, a magnetostrictive effect. Because whenever whenever charged particles or like electrons move through a conductor, there's a perpendicular magnetic field. Um, so, for example, if you just take a coil of wire, literally the coil of wire, and put power in it, you would just create a magnet. That's an electromagnet. Um, but power is also goes through these things and because and because mag- there's a magnetic field that can move stuff inside of the power supply. It's moving at such a fast rate, it's producing sound, right? And most of these supplies that we have, they actually do produce, produce sound, we just don't hear it. But I remember once that I heard, I did hear this squealing, it was really annoying. I'm like, I hate squealing, I hate noise. I replaced all the fans and all my devices with really low noise fans. <laughs> uh, um, and I heard this squealing, like, what is that? And I opened it up and... Uh, then I was like looking into the sound. I'm like, oh, I wonder if other devices make the sound. And I found that other power supplies do make sound, but just don't hear it because it's happening so fast. It's outside of their range of hearing. I think humans hear at something like two kilohertz to twenty kilohertz. Um, so it was outside of twenty kilohertz, which becomes ultrasound if it's above that. And ultrasound we can't hear. Some animals can hear certain ranges of ultrasound. So that means a lot of power supplies are making noise. We just don't hear it. And I'm like, what is that noise? Well, the noise is power. Okay, not a big deal, but like. 
what uses power? If you have a computer or some device like a phone or something that's using power, well, how is it using power? When is it using power? Why? Obviously, the CPU and all the systems, all the auxiliary features like a camera or speakers or whatever are using power. But if it's like um, my computer, if I'm logging in or if I'm sending an email or if I'm encrypting, yeah, if I'm logging in, I'm like decrypting something, I'm typing in my password, and that's decrypting, say, the hard drive. And if you look at certain algorithms, certain cryptographic algorithms like RSA, when that's encrypting, if you encrypt a one versus zero, it takes different instructions, right? It will always be different instructions. But sometimes it's actually more instructions versus less instructions or more power intensive instructions, more CPU intensive instructions, more CPU requires more power. Um, like you might do a multiplication versus just a modulo. Like you might do a multiplication plus, plus a modulo versus just a modulo, depending on whether you're encrypting a one or a zero. Um, and if that's the case and you can hear the sound, well, what you're actually hearing is the instructions are taking pulling power and that's more power that's going through that capacitor and uh, inductor. Often it's actually both, um, they call it an LC circuit. Uh, typically it's both. And then you're now, if you record that and you look at that signal, um, you can actually, and you now, now you say, oh, I see 128 things happening or 206 things happening or 1024 or 2048. You're like, oh, 2048, well, there's an RSA, uh, RSA key that's that long. Maybe this is performing RSA because it happened around the time that I did some RSA. It was encrypting email. Uh, and now you can extract the key from that sound. Like there's side channel analysis. Like, literally, our computers are, are actually audibly producing, literally screaming our passwords. And that's actually <laughs> happening. It's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, you, these kinds of things, other people have discovered this kind of stuff. And I, I think that's really cool. And it's only because you're looking at like, why is something behaving the way it is in this weird way? Um, and oftentimes, it's nothing useful, right? But when you find something cool, then then you might you might just find some really neat attack or some really neat new way to, I don't know, take advantage of a system in, a, um, in some way we didn't know how to before. I, I actually saw a presentation specifically on that attack. Uh, and it was given by Adi Shamir, the S in RSA. Oh, and he took, awesome. um, they, he took a microphone that is used for monitoring bats uh, because they speak in ultrasound. And he used that and put it right next to, um, right next to, the, to his machine. And there's a capacitor on the die that is vibrating at different frequencies depending on how much power is going through it. Um, and it was something like apparently to get one of the exponents in memory uh, for something like RSA, there's an algorithm that uses it's a series of, I think, additions and squares. Um, so it'll be like square, 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 add three, square, add five. And like you can get to a really large prime via some series of, of operations like that. And <laughs> just if you know what the sequence of like squares plus adds are, you can like pretty easily derive the, the private key. Um, oh, and I, I remember that that blew my mind. Um, and he had like yeah, he yeah. had like the whole the the whole analysis of like here's all the here's the sound waves that we're looking at, and, and you know put it to this transform, and we can actually see the peaks. And I think that was that that really was one of the things that got me into security. And there was another. Um, so the guy that I did graduate research uh, under, he it was part of this paper called Pin Drop. Um, and I, well, actually, I'm not even going to talk about Pinjop. Pinjop's a super cool technology that can figure out whether or not your like telephony traffic is going through the right networks uh, according to your phone number. But another paper that he did took um, took like an iPhone three. It's like a third generation iPhone, and you put it next to a keyboard, 
and then uh, you monitor the accelerometer. And uh, just by the accelerometer data, if you know the language that the person is typing in, uh, you can, with like 80% accuracy, derive the keystrokes just from the accelerometer. You mean the key- keyboard on the phone itself? No, 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 no. I mean like an actual keyboard that you have for a desktop and you just put oh, the, the phone right next to it. Interesting. Yeah. I've seen that with, with the microphone where people are recording the sound of the keyboard. Uh, I so I've seen that with the accelerometer, but that's very cool. Um, yeah, just with the, yeah. With, the key, with the keyboard and microphone from the phone, I've seen that because each key is in its own physical location, you're going to hit, hit yep, each one. Yep. It's producing its own sound. You don't know what it, what it is, right? But you know, oh, I just saw the same key hit twice in a row. And then you can do frequency yep. analysis. Yeah, like you said, what's your yeah, language it, or if you know the language. Exactly. So that was, um, that was the thing where basically what you could determine if the phone is on like the right-hand side of the keyboard is was the keystroke on the near side of the keyboard or was it on the far side of the keyboard? Hmm. And it turns out that like because of the way that keys are laid out, if you're typing in English at least, you can kind of – and you, you map it back to phonemes. You can kind of tell where it's like, oh, it was like far side, far side, near side, far side, near side, and then space. And it's like, cool, five-letter right. word. And like, here's, here's the options. So you, like, it takes some work, but just that was iPhone 3 accelerometer. That's back when those sensors were far, far worse than they are today. Um, but these, these sorts of side channel attacks, I think are one of the things that initially motivated me to like get involved in security. I'm interested okay. to know for you though, what was your, like, I, I, I know I saw like DEF CON presentations when I was in middle school. I was like, this is the coolest shit ever. I definitely want to do this. Um, but what was your journey into security like? Like, what was your motivation for for kind of going down the path that you're on now? Um, yeah, I mean, it started. Let's see, uh, I was like 10 years old, and um, my mom was always working, but she knew I liked computers. She would take me to her university where she was going to school, and she dropped me off in the library so she could go to class. She had a friend who worked at the library, uh, so I just like sit on a computer there, and they had the internet. This is like 19. 19- early nineties. Um, and uh, yeah, I was like, this is awesome. I would just search stuff. I'd find like web web pages about the Simpsons. Uh, always great. I'd play audio clips that would wait for them to download. Uh, <laughs> and just be like Homer going, do <laughs> like, yeah, cool. yep, yep. <laughs> the internet is amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, then my, my mom was able to get me a computer when I was 10 and um, we were able to dial up to her university to get uh, internet. So it's really cool. And the first day I search, I search stuff for the X-Files and I find like a, a message board and I start posting like, hey, this is awesome. Let's chat about the stuff. And I keep like refreshing to see if anyone has updated the forum, has responded to my post and like an hour later, nothing has happened. Um, I'm like, there's got to be a faster way. And I look around and I'm like, is there a chat I can do? And I found a chat application like MIRC. So we'd go into the internet relay chat networks. And I went on a network. I had no idea what I was doing, but I went into a channel and said, hey, who wants to chat about the X-Files? And someone immediately <laughs> tells me, <laughs> someone immediately says, get out. Like, <laughs> I, I, had, I had no idea why. I understood later they were trying to like gain op status and no one was an op in the channel operator. But I had no idea why at the moment, at the time. And I'm like, okay. I remember my mom said, don't, give, don't ever give out your name or like where you live. And I'm like, I didn't give out my name or where I live. So this person can't do anything bad. So I'm like, no. <laughs> this guy says, you have 10 seconds to get out. And I'm like, no. And 10 seconds later, the 
brand new computer my mom got and spent everything on crashed. I got a blue screen of death. It's running Windows 95. And I freak out. Like, I freak out. I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my life. My mom spent everything on this. She's asleep at the time because I'm like, I was up late the first day on my computer. And I pull the power out of the monitor because I'm like, that's how you turn off the computer. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, there's all these other cables. So I pulled all those out too out of the desktop. I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. So I pull everything out. And then I'm like, the longer I wait, the better it will be. It will heal. So I waited. Waited 20, 30 minutes. I plug everything back in. I'm like, that's probably enough time. And I power it on. And everything is okay. And I'm like, oh, thank God. But at the same time, I'm like, that is the coolest thing ever. <laughs> how do I do that? And I just had to figure out how. And when I say figure out, I had to figure out what this person used. And I uh, later learned, a few weeks later, it was WinNuke 95. It was a program I could download and I did. And also, <laughs> I had this magic power. <laughs> And I'm not malicious. I don't want to like crash people's computers, but it feels really cool to be able to control something you're not supposed to be able to, right? It's just an IP address. You can actually take down a system on the internet. That's, that's insane. That blew my mind. And um, I remember this and I, then I wanted to learn how to make a website and I learned some HTML and put up a website and I'm like, I made it freely available so anyone can download WinNuke from me. And then uh, <laughs> Microsoft came out with Service Pack 2, Windows 95 Service Pack 2, which fixed the denial of service, the out-of-band UDP packet. Um, uh, I believe it was against NetBIOS. Uh, and they fixed it. It's like, oh my God, my magic tool no longer works. And I opened WinNuke and I was just looking at it and it, it says the author name, Burnt Bogus of the Dead. And I'm like, this guy, you know, Burnt Bogus of the Dead. This person created an app. Like, they created this application, this nuker. How can I make my own nuker? And that's when I was like, how, like searching on Lycos or whatever, how do I make a nuker? And uh, ultimately, I found out you have to learn how to program and you have to learn how to reverse engineer. And then I started looking those up and I found, I think I found like Frack Magazine. And then Frack Magazine was talking about, all right, this is how actually a CPU architecture works. Here's how, because um, it was actually, I think that year that uh, Smashing the Stack for Fun and Profit by LF1 came out, which is how to do buffer overflows, right? How to actually take over a computer with a buffer overflow, which is even way cooler than a knowledge service, right? You're actually manip, you're controlling a computer. You're not just taking it down. You're able, you're able to extract data or make it do something without crashing. Um, that and that blew my mind, and then I was hooked. I was like, "How do I do this?" And I just kept going. <laughs> <laughs> that's too, that's too funny. The um, <laughs> early internet, it's it. The internet today is still amazing. I mean, the fact that we're like recording this remotely, and the fact that like we have remote work and all that stuff, like the internet's fantastic. But man, it is a completely different beast from the internet of the 1990s. Okay, so you have. I, I encourage everybody to go check out Sammy's website and just see a bunch of the projects that he's done. I think like as as a security professional, if I had like a quarter of the projects that you've done, I'd feel very accomplished. I think it's wild the amount of shit that you have built. Um, is there any... because I've never been a security professional. <laughs> <I'm> a professional. <laughs> what is there any of, of all the projects that you've done? Is there one that you found like particularly fun or particularly interesting, or one that you kind of enjoyed above others? Or do you have a handful of favorites? Just like what? Tell us about one that you're like, I really liked that, and why. Hmm. Um, oh man, I mean, I really like. I really enjoy doing them, or I think I, I really do enjoy a lot of them or all of them. Um, I'm trying to think if there's something in particular. Uh, I mean, the thing that's like actually makes me happy and 
because a lot of the time I'm banging my head against the wall. Like I have no idea what's going on. I don't know why something doesn't work. And I find like I'm also just trying to do something I can't do, something I don't know how to do, right? It just means you have to learn, right? We'll learn. Um, but if I intentionally set out to do something I don't know how to do, it's often a long process, uh, but it feels really good once you can do it and do it. Like I'll do it really poorly, but I'll be able to like make it happen once. Um, and that's really nice. So, uh, it's, yeah, I'm just trying to think of, uh, let me look at these. If there's anything that was like particularly fun. I don't know. Um, well, even, even your website, like having tried to find the Easter eggs on your website, I, I, it's so frustrating. The oh, fact, awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know how you detect the man in the middle so that I okay. can't use Burp Suite. I actually, I do well, have an idea. Actually, I think you're doing an Ajax request to like the 127.0.0.1, 8000 or 8080 and determining whether or not it's Burp Suite. Is that? Yeah. So most of the, um, most of the, uh, proxies. Um, like Burp and Zap and Charles, they actually do run web servers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for those who want to try it, my website is sammy.pl, sammy.pl. And actually, that's what I'll say is the, is the fun project, the thing that sticks okay. out. Because I spent years of my life uh, working on my website. It, and fortunately, it sucks on mobile. I need to do something about that. But on desktop, it's like meant to... Um, yeah, so when you go to... If you try to do things like view the source, you run into an Easter egg. And I try very hard to make it difficult to obtain the source. And I think anyone in technology, like people who work in security or web, know that you can't hide the source. Like, obviously, your browser is rendering it, but it has to have the source, which it does. Um, and, you know, if you're trying to just do something like block right-click, like, people will get around that. Um, and I've spent a lot of time reverse engineering, like, not even reverse engineering because many are open source now, uh, but looking at how the browsers work. and at how the network stack works and looking at how TLS works. Um, what are the different things I can do to determine that, wow, they're actually viewing the source, so I'm going to show them something else. They're actually, they have the inspector open, I'm going to do something else. They have a proxy open, I'm going to do something else. And trying to prohibit them from viewing the source, while if they just browse my website normally, they get the full source. Like the browser gets the source, <laughs> but they don't. Um, and it's funny because different browsers, they behave differently. Uh, and this is actually, I used to, I have a couple of friends at some of the browser um, uh, that work at, with work as engineers at some of the browsers. And I used to show them like, like proud of something new I'd had and I'd let them know, they'd be like, oh, it's cool. And they'd fix it in the next release. Now I don't tell them when I, when I find <laughs> yeah, issues yeah. in the browsers. <laughs> Such a narc, uh, jeez. <laughs> uh, they still fix, they still keep fixing stuff. Uh, and there'll be like a Google Chrome report with like, and it'll just point to my website, sammy.pl, like, I can't be the source. I can't do this. And they're like, okay, we'll fix that in the next one. <laughs> next uh, so it's a constant like uh, cat and mouse. Uh, but it's, it's really fun. Like you can, yeah, you, uh, you're constantly leaking information. I mean, there's, there's actually really cool stuff. Like, for example, we think we have this, uh, you know, some people, porn browsing mode, right? Incognito mode, right? So you can open that and you think, okay, well, like no one can identify who I am. Like I no longer have cookies and stuff. But if you look at how, let's say the underlying protocols work, things like TLS. Well, if you visit to a website via TLS, HTTPS, um, your browser opens a socket to that. And then many of the browsers, they will reuse that socket for incognito mode. So if you go to the same browser or the same website, and not only that, they, they might actually not reuse the socket. They might reopen the socket. Uh, they might close it and then just open it again. Um, 
And now you can't really use IP address to validate because people have routers and you can be in a, behind a corporate network or all sorts of things. But TLS has something called session resumption, where you or session tickets, where you create a ticket, like a random ID. Uh, I think the server, the TLS server actually sends the ID to you and then you store it for later use. And that allows you to resume your certificate. So it speeds up the connection next time. And incognito mode uses the same ticket. There's just a, a TLS engine, right, that everything uses. So that engine reuses the ticket because it's like, oh, I'm going to the same host and port. So I might as well, you know, speed up the, the process, not require any of the asymmetric cryptography that happens in the initial process and just reuse my symmetric key. And that ticket, that ID is just an ID that identifies you, um, assuming you've recorded it. And now you can like track someone across incognito mode and, and non-incognito mode. Um, so if you ever like, if you're, if you use, let's say Google, for example, then normally, and you're like, oh, I want to search something I don't want them to see. And then you go up in incognito mode. Well, you're probably still using that same session ticket uh, or that same ticket ID. Now, I don't think Google's tracking that, uh, but other people could if they wanted, right? In fact, the, T the ID itself isn't encrypted. This is all in the TLS header, unencrypted. So your ISP could track that. Everybody in between you and Google could track that, the 10 or 15 hops that you have to route through. Um, and anyone else who, who also might be between those hops. Okay, so the... Um, I think the context that a lot of people may have heard of you from and may not even realize that the Sammy cam car that we're currently, currently talking about or talking to is the Sammy from the Sammy worm. And it's just like kind of a wild story. And I think it also exemplifies your approach of like, I'm here to learn and figure things out and to have fun. Um, just because like you found a pretty powerful exploit that if you wanted to be malicious could have been extremely malicious but instead you just wanted people to say that you're really cool uh so can you can you give us like a brief you know from, from your perspective uh what was your experience with the sammy worm and and kind of like what was what was that whole ordeal about yeah sure i didn't name it by the way uh <laughs> um yeah so when i was 19 this is like 2005 um i was working at i co-founded a company um with some people with some people and that was going oh well, I guess. And I would, it was like a voice over IP company, um, cloud-based. And at the time, I remember all my friends were on this website. Um, and I'm like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to join this. So like my, But more and more people would join. And it was called MySpace, myspace.com, 2005. In 2005, uh, if you used Alexa, now when I say Alexa, I don't mean Google Alexa, Granted, Google bought Alexa.com, but back then Alexa was a domain name. <laughs> you could see the top like million websites. I think you still can uh, somewhere. But um, MySpace.com was the number one website in 2005. Number two is Google.com, uh, which just told you like how big MySpace was at the time. Uh, super small relative to the systems today, like Facebook or, or whatever it may be. Uh, but I was like, okay, all my you know all my friends have this MySpace. Um, at least all my younger friends. Not, Maybe the people I worked with were older, but I was like, all right, I'll make an account. And I made an account. I was like, this is cool, social network, and you can post photos and write comments. I don't know if you could actually write comments back then. Uh, maybe not. Um, I think you could. But you could add friends um, and you could post stuff on your own profile. And I recall, all right, like, what can I do? Um, or is there any way I can make my profile be more interesting than other people? In MySpace, many of you will remember, allowed you to do CSS. So you could like style 
your profile. You couldn't do anything else. You couldn't embed Flash. You couldn't embed JavaScript. Um, you know, they had all sorts of filters to prevent this type of stuff. And I was like, all right, well, I started playing with the CSS and like, this is kind of cool. And then I was like, all right, there's got to be, there's some limitations here. Like it only allows you to upload 12 photos. Like what if I want 13? And I thought that's just a client side limitation. So you can just still do a post upload and upload a 13th photo, for example, not a big deal, but I like the subtle changes. And I was like, what can I do with my profile? And I remember I was in a relationship and I was like, there's a drop down for when you're choosing your um, information, you're on your bio and in a relationship, married, divorced, single, whatever. And I wouldn't mind to say in a hot relationship. Yeah, that'd be kind of funny. Because <laughs> like people who would notice, like I just like subtle, like something subtle where you're like, wait, how did that person, how did they do this? Like, because it's not an option. And if you look at the code or what you're, what you're posting, you're not posting the text. You're, when you're submitting your bio, you're posting an index. So like zero is single, one is married, whatever it may be. Um, and I was like, okay, so I can't just send text. I can't just like intercept or uh, produce my own post request here. Um, so I need to maybe be able to modify the page. And I started like messing around. Maybe I can execute JavaScript somehow because if it's JavaScript, you get access to the DOM, um, which is the page, the page content basically, um, and how it gets structured. And if I can access the DOM, then maybe I can modify this. And I found, uh, I was like, oh, they blocked JavaScript, they blocked Flash. And I started playing around with the CSS because they allow CSS. And I was like, all right, well, can I, is there something with CSS where I can execute JavaScript? And there's not really, um, but I did found, I did find a couple of bugs in browsers. So I was looking actually now instead of I'm trying to, I wasn't trying to mess with MySpace. I was trying to mess with the browsers. And I found that a lot of browsers would interpret, um, for one, you could like, MySpace would block the word JavaScript anywhere. So even if you just want to say, I love JavaScript in your profile, they'd block it. It would say, I love dot. And I was like, okay, I can't, I can't even use the word JavaScript. Um, but then I saw that I could do a, a URI, like a, a URL to an image. So if you want to set the background of a div or the background of a page, you could do like in CSS, you do background, I think it's either background hyphen image or background colon, um, and then the URL. But the URL could be another URL like JavaScript colon. And you can, it would actually execute that. Problems with MySpace block the word JavaScript. And then I found a bug in the browsers. It wasn't even a bug, it was probably intentional, where they would interpret Java new line script. So you could say Java, enter, script. <laughs> colon code and that bypassed my pass myspace's filter uh but executed within the browser as a javascript and it's a url for back for the background image of a div um and it, that would execute and i was like oh sweet so now i can modify the page content <laughs> in line and i would change in relationship to in a hot relationship i was like this is awesome what else can i do and uh this is 2005 so if you guys remember MapQuest, you know when you're searching for maps yep. uh, yeah yeah so 2005, uh, what came out, it was Google Maps. And that blew me away. Because for the first time, on MapQuest, you'd like search an address. And then if you want to zoom, you hit zoom, the page would refresh. You hit the east button, the page would refresh. And then Web 2.0 in 2005, uh, Ajax came out. And Ajax allows a, uh, uh, background, background content to load. So with Google Maps, you like click and scroll without flash and it's just loading new images. So that was really cool. It's like, can I use Ajax to do something interesting on this MySpace website? So I injected this JavaScript, it would, it would change my relationship status. And then I would say, well, oh, maybe I can make the person add me as a friend. I can make them like click a button and they're sending their cookies. Uh, so I can do something on their behalf. So I'd have them add me as a friend. I was like, that's cool. And it would happen in the background. So it wouldn't interfere with like whatever they're doing. It just happened in the background. I was like, that's kind of neat. Um, what else can I do? And I was like, actually, 
let me just like let this run. And I was like, oh, I can update their profile. I can update their bio. So I would have it like update their bio and they had a CSRF token to prevent this. And I was like with Ajax, I could read the CSRF token out of the DOM, pull it and then send it back and actually properly update their bio, um, even though they're doing actually good security here to try to prevent these types of attacks. Uh, and I would add to the bottom of their profile, but most of all, Sammy's my hero. Or like to their hero section. <laughs> um, so, you know, your heroes, There's you'd have favorite books, music, whatever. And there's also a favorite hero. So you might have like my 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 mom, my dad, my grandmother. Um, and then it would just append. But most of all, Sammy is my hero. <laughs> your heroes. I was like, this is really funny. A bunch of people are going to add me as a friend and add me as a hero. And I can show off to like my geek friends and it would be really funny. And I waited like, uh, I don't know, a few days or a week. And I had like one person who hit this, who got this. I'm like, okay, so nobody looks at my profile. All right, that sucks. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to show off if no one's even going to my profile to even look at this. So how to make this, I don't know, go a little faster. I was thinking if I can make them Madby's a friend and make Madby's a hero, I can make them probably just add the code to their profile. Because I put this code in my profile, in my bio. And you don't see it, it's just an HTML um, but I can, if I'm already updating their profile, I can add this code too. So if you visit my profile, you'll add me as a friend, add me as a hero, and then add the code to your profile. Someone visits your profile, <laughs> they'll add me as a friend, add me as a hero, and add the code to their profile. And in a month, I should have like, I don't know, 20, 30, like 50 new friends. And uh, I launched it one night and we all know code. Like if you write code, it doesn't usually doesn't work the first time. And I woke up the next morning and I had 10,000 new friends. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, ten thousand in like eight hours—that's a lot. And I wait another hour, hour later. I'm like getting ready to go to work, and it's now twenty thousand. Like, oh yeah, it's like a exponential, exponential. yeah, exponential growth. <laughs> oh no, just popular then, guy. I'm like, oh no, I've made a I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm 19 years old. I'm freaking out at this point. MySpace was just purchased by Fox for half a billion dollars. Um, so like $580 million. I'm like, I don't want Fox to be upset. Uh, this, I didn't think it would spread this fast. I just thought it would get a little people. Someone would complain one day and they'd remove it. No big deal. So I emailed MySpace anonymously. I was like, hey guys, someone on my profile, they somehow added me as a friend and a hero. I don't understand. There's this weird code. I don't understand what it does. And it's super obfuscated because the bio limited how much content you could put in. So I had to really compress and I wrote actually a JavaScript compressor um, that would just obfuscate and make it really, really tiny so it could actually fit within the within the allotted uh, character space. And I emailed them anonymously, said, hey, I don't know how this guy got on my profile and I, I'm pretending to be somebody else. And um, I see this weird code. I'm not sure what it does, but I think it does detailed explanation of exactly what it does. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if I were to guess, like, you could probably resolve this by detailed explanation of exactly how to resolve this problem. Because <laughs> uh, I really did. I had nothing else I could do. I'm like, I should, might as well just delete my profile. So I sent that. I hope someone saw it. And then I went to delete my profile. I was like, are you sure you want to delete it? I was like, yes. I was like, are you absolutely sure? And it's like, absolutely. He's like, okay, great. We will delete your profile in 24 hours. I'm like, okay. I don't know why, but they had a 24-hour period. Maybe if people's accounts got hacked or something, it would prevent, I don't know, immediate deletion or something. So I'm like, okay. So I'm just sitting around like this is happening and I can't do anything about it. I can't stop it, right? It's like the cold. You know, you might be better, but if you already sneezed on somebody, it's going to spread. Um, so uh, I'm just like, okay, all right. 
just went to work. I couldn't really think. And it went from 10,000 to 20 to 100,000. And by the end of the day, it was a million people. And at this point, I'm just refreshing to see how fast it's moving. It's moving at like 3,000 people per second. And finally, I refresh and it's like a million something. And then my profile is taken down. I'm like, all right, thank you. I'm so happy they took down my profile and they must have stopped the worm. I want to see, does it still say Sammy's my hero on other profiles? So I went to another profile and said, this profile is down. I'm like, oh no, go to myspace.com. <laughs> so the website is down. Everyone is here working on it. And it's like 9 p.m. Uh, on uh in Los Angeles and my space is in Los Angeles. And so was I, I was like, Oh no, I felt off. I felt like really terrible. And I also knew my space was in LA and it's like, should I drive over there with some like coffee and donuts? Be like, Hey guys, I'm so sorry. I need to do this. Like, can I help with anything like SQL queries or whatever it may be? Uh, I thought that was probably a bad idea. Um, so I just did nothing. Just like watched TV, I guess. Um, and kind of waited. And a few hours later, it came back up and my profile was still gone, but all the other profiles were, were back. Uh, they still said Sammy's my hero, but uh, the code was gone. <laughs> the worm no longer worked, and um, that uh, that yeah, that was a MySpace worm uh, when I was uh, when I was a kid. And I just kind of waited like for a few days to see. I thought like the MySpace or Internet Police or someone was going to show up, and like a day went by, and a week went by, a month went by, six months go by, and like after like three months, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I made a mistake. I'm never doing that again. Uh, but I'm lucky; nothing ever happened. And it's like six months go by and my company's doing well. I bought a new car. I go downstairs to uh, my garage in Marine Del Rey. And there's two guys sitting on my car. Like, And I'm like, oh no, like I'm getting carjacked. <laughs> 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 and I go up to them and then two more guys come up behind me and uh, they say, Sammy. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> the carjackers don't know your name. <laughs> 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 like oh no and they say sammy we um you know we're with the uh and they all showed me badges one's electronics Crime task force one's lada one's like secret secret service and one's lachp i don't know or chp and california Highway patrol i don't know why they were there they're like hey we have search warrant for you i'm like oh no uh i didn't know anything about search warrants but i was watching a lot of 24 at the time and on 24 <laughs> they're like show me the search warrant so I said it. I said it just to see what would happen. Like, I didn't know if that would work. But I'm like, it can't hurt, right? It, it can't get any worse. So they showed me the search warrant. And they showed me the search warrant. I was like, oh, all right. Uh, so you guys do have this. Um, and they had a search warrant to look through my place. And they went through everything. They took everything that had data on it. They took my computer, my laptop, my iPod, my Xbox, my CDs, DVDs. And then they left. And apparently, they were, I was like, free to go. Uh, and ultimately, I had a... Uh, it wasn't MySpace that came after me civilly. It was actually the U.S. government. It was state of California that came after me criminally um, for creating a worm. Like so, that is the uh, that's uh, technically is like 502c3, the California Code, and I believe that's modifying <laughs> modifying data on a remote computer. I believe that's the actual law that I broke. <laughs> uh, which I did something. I I totally did something wrong. But uh, but it was funny how vague these laws are. So yep. was, I mean, that was an interesting process. It was actually a terrifying process. Um, I was, uh, I had been on my own since I was 15 or 16 and supporting my mom. I'm like, uh, what's going to happen? Am I going to go to prison? And I had no idea. So for six months, I kind of fought and went back and forth with the LADA. And finally, they came to an agreement where um, they said, I was like, if I lose, they wanted me to never touch a computer again. Like, if that happens, I can't support my mom. Like, I can go, like, that's all I know. I don't even have a high school diploma. So what do I do? Uh, and they're like, okay, well, what we can do is we can agree to this. You won't 
you won't touch a computer ever again. You won't touch the internet ever again. However, if you're on good behavior and your probation officer likes you or says so, says that you're on good behavior, you can come back in a couple of years, uh, in a few years. And if everything's good, we can, we'll remove this, these restrictions. And I was like, I can deal with that. So for three or four years, no computers, no internet. I went back to court. My probation officer said I was her favorite client and everything got removed. Oh man, that's what'd you do? What'd you do in those three to four years waiting period? Um, yeah, I was like, t- I turned 20, 21. So 20, 21, I could start going out, um, uh, to bars in the U S, uh, just hung out with friends more. I was still at my company and I was running an engineering department. So I just didn't, I just worked with the engineers, um, and mm-hmm. pointed at stuff. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I read books and I went outside and was like, what's that bright light outside? Uh, and I went to, yeah, started going to the, to the gym and just all the things, I guess, maybe other people normally do that I never did. Cause I was inside all the time on IRC <laughs> or like messing around on projects. So it, it was actually really good for me. Um, I, I think it helped me become more social and, uh, also understanding yeah, you can also live without this stuff. And um, yeah, I think it was actually great. The hardest part was not having Google Maps, like trying to get somewhere without <laughs> Google Maps or any met, like digital mapping platform. It's really, really hard. So I think buy a Thomas guy to figure out how to use a physical oh, map. Oh man, Thomas <laughs> guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did you ever figure out what that big bright spot outside is? Yes. Uh, they call it the sun. Uh. <laughs> noted yeah I'm, I'm writing that down right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so where can people find you social media what do you got sure um yeah my website sammy.pl s-a-m-y.pl and my uh my twitter is sammy Kamkar k-a-m-k-a-r uh, s-a-m-y-k-a-m-k-a-r um my uh our company uh is openpath.com uh, those are the main things. Right. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us today and telling us a little bit more on not just you, but, you know, some of the other instances that people might know you from. And super interesting to see, you know, someone getting deep down into physics. Um, that usually gets me excited because my background is RF. So, oh, cool. When, when people are, you know, diving into that world, I'm like, ah, oh, Yes. Come join the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it's technically yeah. light, right? Well, so, you so know, the light side. It's what you do with it. <laughs> it's all it's all still black magic. Uh, and um, but yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, if there is one thing that you could tell new engineers or or young engineers or young hackers um, from you know you learning from a period of time, you know, in the early internet age, right? But now, if you could give tips to to younger folks, what would that be? Well, just one tip. I'm sure you can give hundreds of tips, but just one one tip for younger hackers who might be in a situation similar to like what you were doing when you were younger. Um, what, what would that be? Yeah, I think if you want to learn how a system works and you want to be good at it, you want to try to be good at something. I think for me, what's been helpful is um, really to validate things, right? Just like, don't just assume something is accurate. It doesn't matter what the source is. It's just validated. And not to say people are wrong or 
things are wrong. But once you validate it, you're going to run into issues just trying to validate it. And you're going to learn so much. Um, it's just like theory is different than practice. So validate things. I think that is like, you will, I don't know. I think gain superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for your time. We'll put all yeah, your contact you info in the description uh, for this podcast and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Likewise. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or give us a rating on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at secexplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.